Welcome to Common Ground YYC on Livewire Calgary. Reviendra à la ville de Calgary. Today, Calgary is a different place than it was yesterday. Welcome to episode 13. I'm host Josh White, and this is Common Ground YYC, a podcast that scratches beyond the surface and into meaningful, in-depth conversations on topics important to Calgarians. Today, I'm joined by three city councillors, Councillor Jyoti Gondak of Ward 3, Councillor Drew Farrell of Ward 7, and Councillor Giancarlo Carra from Ward 9. Today's episode is very much a follow-on from our development roundtable discussion we had in Episode 7. So if you enjoyed that conversation and the topics we covered around the growth of our city, this episode's very much for you. We focus very much on growth and development planning issues I really did enjoy this conversation because the counselors were able to, I think, often disagree and sometimes quite vehemently. They did so productively, and I think we had a very useful conversation that I think you'll enjoy. Another word of note uh, before we start the episode, I did, prior to recording this episode on Twitter, put out a call for some questions to the counselors, different topics we wanted to cover. I'll apologize in advance. We got to exactly none of them. Uh, We just got so into the conversation of growth and development that uh, we just didn't have time to cover any other topics in any level of detail. But I will say that you did give us a lot of great suggestions for different topics you want covered from the economy, climate change, and heritage, housing and homelessness, a whole array of topics that I'll take and try and cover in indistinct podcast and bring on appropriate guests. So stay tuned for that. And without further delay, I bring you Councillors Gondick, Farrell, and Carraw. Welcome to episode 13, Lucky 13. I am joined by three city councillors, Drew Farrell from Ward 7, Giancarlo Carraw, Ward 9, and Jyoti Gondick, Ward 3. Welcome. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys coming on. And and I think one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys on uh, is that, you know, I think you you three are, you know, three of the counselors that really are, are, are kind of the most passionate about kind of city building issues. I think it's it seems to me that's what motivated you guys to join council from your varying perspectives. You've all served on Calgary Planning Commission, both Joe to yourself before and during your time on city council, but also as a private citizen. To start out, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, we're at the 10 year mark of the MDP and CTP. So these are the big guiding policies and principles guiding our city, both in terms of what we build, but where we build and how we build. And I want to lean a little bit into, from your perspectives, a sort of where we're at, how we've done, and as we do the 10-year view, where you think you need to go and and what things we need to do within the MDP and CTP and other policy frameworks that the city has to get there. You guys have been deeply engaged on this issue, both from inside and outside City Hall. 
Where do you think? Jody, I'm going to start with you as the newest counselor. You know, you represent Ward 3. So this is a, this is a you know, a combination of, of brand new communities, some newer established communities, you could say it that way. Coming into City Hall, what's your view on, on the MDP, where we sit and where we need to go? From my perspective, the MDP took on a, a monumental task of talking about what our city would look like into the future. And it was good work. I think since that work was done, a realization for me at least, is that we are not very good at regional partnerships just yet. In fact, we're terrible at them. And if we are that bad at working collaboratively regionally, I wanna do everything we can to bolster our ability to work well as component parts of a unicity. So although I agree that the MDP process was a good one, my concern now is if we continue on this struggle with urban versus suburban, established versus growing, inner versus outer, we're missing the opportunity to grow parts of the city that offer very different opportunities to Calgary as a whole. So I want to take advantage of the Unicity concept and revisit this idea of 50-50 growth inside and outside. I would prefer to look at what needs to take place, where can it take place, and what's the opportunity to share in the cost and the benefit. All right. I want to get each of your high-level takes, and then I want to pick up on some of those threads and some of the threads I'm sure we're going to hear from you guys as well. Giancarlo, 10-year review of the MVP. What's your what's your well, diagnosis? I mean, I think you and I have a long history in this together because yeah. you were the mayor's uh, policy guy on planning issues, and you guys came to power at the same time that I did in 2010. My Great Neighborhoods platform was all about transform transforming planning, and I think we've moved the dial a lot, but planning has been a tough nut to crack. And I mean, I remember you and I wrote significant position pieces on yeah. what a transformed planning process should look like. Right. And, uh, you know, you subsequently left and we went through some, you. Yeah. yeah, we went, you, you abandoned me and we went through some um, significant leadership changes as we tried to find the right sort of leadership to lead the planning department into, into the future of where we're going. And I would say we're finally in a position where if we execute on the work plan that we have before us, we're going to meaningfully transform planning in all the directions that we were talking about. And I think that it's going to hit most of the things that Joti would like to see, although we probably have some uh, points of contention. And it is going to achieve a lot of the work that Drew here has been fighting for for a long time. What we're basically going to do is... We're going to combine the Municipal Development Plan and the Calgary Transportation Plan into a Calgary plan. Right. We are going to create that document is going to be a leaner and meaner document <clears throat> than the endless words that are embedded in the current documents. Yeah. And the bulk of the text is going to go into a mid-level guidebook, which is going to operationalize policy. And then there's going to be an entire sort of consolation of local area plans so that every part of the city is under forward-looking policy and we have a clear idea of what it's going to be when it grows up. And at that point, we can have a very apples-to-apples -apples conversation about where we put our limited infrastructure investment dollars. And we want to maximize bang for buck. We want to maximize choice. We want to get our city math right. And it's when we have everything under policy that that's going to happen. So over the next three years, you're going to see 
this guidebook emerged, this one guidebook to rule them all, and it's going to have the bulk of the words. You're going to have a very skeletal, elegant Calgary plan at the top that combines land use, uh, transportation planning, regional considerations. And then at the bottom, you're going to have a constellation of very elegant local area plans that are very forward-looking and drive infrastructure outcomes. And, and really, the other thing that happens is we're going to do this in conjunction with getting the land use bylaw tied into it. Yeah. So all of these things are finally happening. Now the devil's going to be in the details and actually landing them well over the next three years or so. Good stuff. Councilor Farrell. Well, uh, I'll be a little bit more provocative. The, 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 municipal, like the municipal development plan wasn't just about planning. And, you know, it was a mistake when you think about it that we divided the development plan from the transportation plan. Yeah. But it, we, it came out of Imagine Calgary, which was a hundred year document. When I first got elected, we went through a whole series of courses on what a council does, what is a governance council. And so our our responsibility was to set policy and strategy, and it was the responsibility of our administration to implement it. And we were supposed to be, you know, noses in, fingers out, or but but and and not get into the day-to-day operations of the city. But if you have policy like Imagine Calgary or the municipal development plan, and you don't monitor them, it's no mystery why we've absolutely blown our targets spectacularly. Every single one, our climate targets, our our growth targets, our green tree canopy targets, water um, permeability targets, we have missed every single one. So no wonder you get members of council who are dealing with the everyday to day operations of the city is because our administration isn't implementing our policy. If you don't like the policy, change the policy. But I I get the impression we have members of administration who frankly aren't interested in our policy and not interested in implementing it. We don't measure it and what gets measured gets done. And during budget, we focus on Citizen Satisfaction Survey, which is the most short-term thinking that you could ever have is a moment in time. It's, it's you know, whether the Flames are winning the playoffs influences citizen satisfaction. So if you base your budget on that, you'll never reach your long-term objectives, and we're not. So I think that's a major failure. If we're going to be looking at this new resilience plan that we're talking about now, don't bother unless we have a better way of monitoring and reporting back to Calgarians how we're doing. All right. There's a lot there. There's a couple threads I want to pick on on kind of two levels that I think all of you talked about. First is, you know, under the MDP and CTP and, you know, you, at Council Fire, you did touch on a, a number of other kind of city building goals that are tied back to Imagine Calgary, but certainly have implications, implementing implications through how we plan and develop and build our city. A lot of those types of things. A lot of conversation about the targets themselves, some of the philosophical underpinnings, what those targets were. And I want to have a conversation a little bit about, and this is something we did talk about in the developer roundtable, is A, I think everyone can kind of agree that the, the, the generic direction of them, there's a lot of buy-in to, but the specifics of what those targets are in terms of urban-suburban split, how those things are talked about and implemented, do those need a revisiting or a rethink to say, not not the general direction of them, but how we think about going about established community growth versus new community growth, for instance? You know, do we need a finer grain look at 
a more informed look at now that we've been through 10 years about what targets we're actually trying to hit rather than say, for example, just a generic percentage split. Do we need to be more fine grained about like this part of the city, we need X growth, that part of the city, we need this type of growth based on what we know about how redevelopment's happening, how new development's happening and those types of things. At that level, do we even need to take a deeper dive and then match that with the second thing I want to talk about is sort of those implementing tools about how we go about doing it. It's difficult to determine whether or not we had the right targets if there was no effort to even meet those targets. So it's very difficult to know why we didn't meet them because we didn't try. And so there was a lot of rationale and rigor behind the development of those targets. There were consequences to not meeting those targets. So it wasn't like they were just pulled out of the air. They were also weakened. The original uh, proposal was a lot stronger targets and, and councils tend to compromise and we listen to the public hearing. So those targets were modified somewhat. Which uh, targets are you speaking to? I'm talking about yeah. all of our targets. So I, yeah. I, I don't want to separate, I mean, planning influences climate, influences um, water, it, it, you know, they're all linked. But if we're not measuring the, and building on the targets, it's very difficult to know whether we have the right ones. Of course, we should be reviewing targets from time to time. The worst thing we could do is not meet our targets because we haven't committed to them and then weaken them just because they're hard. Sometimes you need to say, yes, they're the right target and we need to double down on meeting those targets. Understanding, you know, and, and councils change. There are very few members of council who were, were still here when we developed this plan. So you constantly need to build on on the data, um, understand the rationale, and continue to tell a story to not just council members, but to members of the public about why you're doing this and why it was important at the time. I would say that our targets are even more important now considering a changing world. Yeah. And uh, are we measuring the right things? That's something that I welcome the conversation. Councillor Gondike, I remember during the Olympic conversation, when you when you did land on opposing the bid, you talked a little bit about, you know, carrying through with the, the great plans that we have, whether that's a specific area plan or does that apply to your thinking as well about, you know, we just need to redouble our efforts into the plans that we have and the targets we have? Or do you, do you buy into the idea that some of those ideas or underpinnings need to be rethought? I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, I wasn't on council at the time that the MDP came in, but I do remember thinking to myself, have we looked carefully enough at how our population is growing and how we best meet the needs of that growing population? And if I take the example of immigration and um, the types of people that are coming into the city and the way they're actually living in a multi-generational setting, or the fact that we don't have enough independent housing for seniors and many are moving in with their adult children. If you look at the sandwich generation, that type of thing. Are we providing the right type of housing for what families need? And I would say we've done a notoriously bad job of that. We've expected people to retrofit their single detached homes to make it work for them. But yet when we have a community in Northeast Calgary, which actively offers a product that you can switch component parts to make it work for a traditional nuclear family or a family that wants to have a renter in a secondary suite or a true multi-generational family. And we don't highlight that. 
as a big victory, that's a problem. We have a problem celebrating successes outside of what we think is good urbanism. That's great urbanism because we are meeting a market need and growing our city efficiently. But we don't like to talk about it. Councilor I'm going to back up to the actual MDP, right? Because I was a citizen when the MDP was before Councillor Farrell here and the rest of the council of that time. And at the time, there was sort of a setup where the citizens were organized by a group called Civic Camp. And now Mayor Nenshi was the first citizen to speak in speak in favor of the MDP, which started to talk about you know, meeting the citizens' 100-year objectives as, as defined by the Imagine Calgary process and to really start the process of moving the city to a city that builds up rather than a city that was a suburban growth machine and constantly just sprawled outwards. And I had the um, honor, literally two days later, of anchoring the citizens' speeches in favor of the MDP. And the expectation when I spoke was that there would be then two days of the development industry speaking in opposition to the MDP after, you know, literally two days of hundreds of citizens stepping up and speaking in favor of it. And I tried to sort of bridge the gap. I said, you know, I wear many hats. I'm here to speak for five minutes. I'm wearing the hat of the Inglewood Community Association president. But I want to try and rectify the cognitive dissonance between 100 plus citizens speaking in favor of this vision and what you're going to now hear, which is, you know, the entire development industry standing up and saying, no, this is not actually what people want because they won't buy it and we can't make money producing it. I'm going to try and square that circle. And what I introduced was a concept that it's not about density per se. It's not about individual housing types. It's about providing walkable neighborhoods urban neighborhoods, whether they're on the edge of the city or whether they're retrofitting existing neighborhoods. And if you're just talking about providing density, the MDP says we need density targets. We need this many units per acre. And the development industry was learning that when you build multifamily units way out on the edge of the city, they were having a hard time selling those. But the argument was, you know, this isn't just about a density target. This is about a completely different way of providing a comprehensive community environment that people can participate in regardless of their age, their stage, their wage, their economic, you know, their background, their family circumstances. And I tried to sort of present that and, and and we were actually my business partner at the time, Jeff Dyer and I were working on a report for the city of Calgary and the Canada Lands Company who were trying to figure out why they couldn't get approvals moving forward for uh, Curry Barracks. Yeah. And we wrote this argument saying it's really about making an urban shift. You cannot continue to build the kind of communities you've been building. Expect people to buy into multifamily where you still have to drive everywhere. Uh, you need to create walkable communities with access to main streets, access to services. And we called that report Urban Shift. And, and it was actually the administration at the time was not interested in our independent report. And they were trying to sort of suppress it. And when it sort of came to light in the hour and 20 minutes that I stood up there and answered questions with counsel, uh, I got in trouble as their consultant, as administration's consultant for digging into some of that stuff that they were not interested in bringing. And that was really what ultimately led me 
to the decision that I had to run and become a city councilor. So I agree with with Councilor Farrell that, you know, we do need to be governors and we need to be noses in, fingers out, except I would suggest in times of significant transition. And that's what we are in in the city. And so I went to council as sort of like an activist governor with the intention of of taking these ideas that had been very well enunciated by the citizenry and actually operationalizing them. And as I said in you know, my opening comments, I'm, I'm very confident that we're finally at a point where we can actually start to operationalize the regulatory environment and the uh, public sector investment environment so we can actually start to create an environment that, that starts to provide that city that we've been talking about now for over 10 years. Can I just add something? Uh, both of you have spurred something that, that I've been thinking about a lot lately. If we're looking at an, a municipal development plan redux, which I think we've already agreed to do that and we need to, the world has changed a lot in 10 years yeah. beyond anything that we could ever have imagined. And I, I assume it's going to change rapidly in the future. And Jyoti brings up a really good point about immigration and the needs of of families moving in but also there are there are a lot of people who live in in Calgary who live alone and when we did the municipal development plan we we built it for you know sort of the normal family and that's how Calgary planned mm-hmm. its city we don't what are normal families now and and so I, I or think even then <laughs> even well if, yeah and maybe we didn't recognize it and an aging community yeah. which we didn't talk about a lot there as well. So this idea of flexibility that that Councillor Gondek brings up is is extremely important, and the ability for communities to adapt over time. I, I wanted to touch a little bit on that too. Is you, you brought up some of the market dynamics and talk about you know how much can we really like push and regulate outcomes we want versus be able to be responsive to what the market's going to deliver. Like you know if you look at just how we've managed our uh, our performance against the targets there was times in which we did very well against those targets those were times when we were having huge amounts of in migration because of hot job markets there was a huge influx of people that were more predisposed to apartment multi for instance so you had a period of 2012 to 2014 where you were 40 very, 60 almost. yeah you were yeah. very much on almost on, 50, on those 50. paces but how realistic is it to expect those exact types of splits when, for example, when a huge proportion of your in-migration now is is international migration and there's different multi-generational needs, there's different consumer preferences. You know, what's this, What's the relationship in the push-pull about what you can regulate into existence versus how you, how you manage what the demographic dynamics in the marketplace are telling you? Because you're going to get different outcomes, especially in a boom-bust cycle, especially with different in-migration patterns, and how do we think about that vis-a-vis our targets when one set of three years can be completely different from the next set of three years? You can't expect the same outcome and results, can you? If we strip away all of the the planning talk and we strip away the idea of, you know, what's an MDP supposed to accomplish and we bring it down to the bare bones of what's a city about and what is city building supposed to be? And it's supposed to be about the intersection of people and the places that we create for them. And how do we make someone's life in the city as wonderful as possible, as flaky as that sounds? That's the core job of what we need to do. 
And if we're not being, frankly, sociological in our view of that, if we are not looking at trends and how families live, if we are not looking at the impacts of the economy on how people's daily lives are, are rolling out today versus five years ago, then we're not going to be able to do things in a way that's nimble and responsive. So how do you manifest that, for example, in policy? Like, how do you create that nimbleness and understanding of those shifting dynamics that are pretty complex? And how do you how do you create a policy framework that accommodates that? Well, I would, do you mind if I jump in? I mean, I would say that there's two scales in which you need to think about it. I mean, the first scale is the individual household, whether it's a nuclear family or whether it's a you know, multi-generational situation or whether it's a, a, a single. And we have a lot of those different yeah. things. You know, you obviously want to create a regulatory environment that is responsive year by year to, you know, the demand and is, is flexible enough. And, and I think that we have inherited a suburban planning regime, a sort of Euclidean-style uh, zoning-based system that is very prescriptive in terms of the individual units that find themselves onto the onto the landscape. And you start to get situations like Jyoti's talking about, where people start taking a house that was designed for a, a, a nuclear family and, and you know pushing and pulling at it within the four walls in ways to, to, to make it behave differently. But just to push back on that for, yeah. for a minute, like mm-hmm. how much of that is the market delivering that versus what the well, no, regulatory I, I, regime yeah, is so, forcing. So, so, so what I'm, to, I mean, do, I yeah. think, I think that, you know, we do have a regulatory regime that forces us to build certain things that are not as responsive as they should be. And I think that we need to basically create a much more flexible regulatory environment that can be more responsive. Okay. And I think that that's definitely something that's on the table right now in terms of the policy we're talking about and in terms of the support of land use. I mean, for, for years also our, our policy intentions and our land use have have remained in completely separate. Uh, you know, th- there is no chart that you can build that shows a connection between what you're legally allowed to do on the land and all of the policy intentions we have. And we have to put those together, and we have to create a tremendous amount of flexibility on a unit by unit basis, so we can meet the demands of individual consumers and citizens. The other side of the equation is how are all of those things fitting together at a larger scale, at the scale of the neighborhood, at the scale of, of the multi-neighborhood complete community, and then at the scale of the whole city. And for, for decades, we have been a suburban growth machine that's been based on everyone getting around using a car. And now we have the most roads per capita of any metropolitan agglomeration in North America, the city of Calgary has 16,900 plus lane kilometers of road. You could lay them end to end and drive from Calgary to Halifax and back twice just within our tax base. And we're building things like the green line now and we're building things like the max purple lines because these are the skill this is these are the skeletal moves and if we pack walkable urban neighborhoods around each of these big transit moves and the existing red and blue lines we can start to create a habitat for Calgary's next million uh, citizens that is not going to be as dependent on this massive infrastructure load that we we already know is is in significant defi- deficit. You know, we can't afford the road system we have. If the next million Calgarians drive as much as the current million, we're in that much more trouble. And if we actually use our existing systems and run transit and things like that and create walkable environments, it supports way more different lifestyles, way better, 
it also supports a much more diversified economy. Yeah. You know, that great neighborhood, that walkable urban neighborhood is the best piece of hardware human beings have ever invented to run the software of a vibrant culture and a diversified economy. And that's what we have to build. I, I think I think we all kind of agree that like the policy shift. Do you, did you want to jump in? Yeah, Councilor I want to Gondick? jump in. <laughs> yes, I do want to Please jump do. in. Please do. Please um, do. I guess my my question to councils past, many, many of them would be, why did you not invest in a proper t- public transportation network? Why did somebody not push harder to make sure that our C train lines went further? I mean, it wasn't hard to see that people needed to get around. And even, I'm going to be hypercritical, even the two members of council that are with me today, why did you let the green line go south before north when modal progression and ridership clearly indicated that the north central communities of Calgary deserve that line up north? All right. And you're going to come back and you're going to say, because land assembly along Center Street was going to be much more difficult to achieve. And so I would ask councils before you, why did you not have that vision? So, you know, as much as we knock the stuffing out of the suburban growth machine, we had an opportunity as councils to instill the principles of good public transportation, and we didn't do it. And now it's before us again. There's a lot of people questioning, is the green line the right thing to do in this economy? Well, for the love of God, if it's not the right thing now, when will it be? So are you viewing the problem mostly as one of of infrastructure deficit to support the types of growth that we're talking about and integrating our community in ways that enable that form to take hold? Is that? I think it was super convenient to take a neoliberal approach and say, meh, everyone's got a car. Let's just build some roads and everyone's responsible for getting around. And we did not take responsibility for planning a city that allowed people to get about equitably. Well, and that's actually a new, it's a new conversation, transit. And it It, started with with Imagine Calgary. Well, it it did and route ahead and other things, but we didn't have transit advocates. And at budget time, transit was always cut. So, and we had members of council along the green line who weren't interested in the green line. So it's pretty hard to go north when you got to go through wards where the council doesn't want it. But going back to the MDP, a lot of it was based on what we could afford. And so the, you know, if, if the assumptions have changed, we still need to base a lot of our decisions on how the city is going to be um, funded in the future. Yeah. So if you look at this last budget, we had to add 2% to our budget to accommodate new growth. But we, you know, if we want to talk about the city as a whole and meeting some of our objectives, you have to look at the city as a whole and fund it as a whole. And we didn't do that. And interestingly, five members of council who voted against the budget all voted for that extra 2%. I, I'm going to jump in here and sort of try and answer <laughs> a couple of questions. Um, first off, you know, when I use the term suburban growth machine, I'm using that as an academic term. And, and you know, cities across North America did the same thing for years in, in the post-war automobile-scaled approach to growth, where they basically took their tax base, they subsidized growth on the edge, and they built a city that marched outwards and outwards. And that city was largely a drivable city and not a walkable city of complete communities. And we started to realize the massive infrastructure deficits that we were opening up. And Calgary is, in many ways, the poster child of that post-war North American urban expansion. And in other ways, we're sort of like this, 
you know, remarkable example of a buck in the trend. Like our transit system is an amazing example of that, not that. Yeah. Speaking of the successes, we need to right. celebrate more. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, and so, that came from parking restrictions in the downtown. It, did, it wouldn't yeah. have been successful without it, and that was highly controversial. And that came yeah. because you had communities surrounding the downtown core that actually had social and political capital to resist the bulldozers long enough for, yes. the, for the city government to realize that we weren't getting federal infrastructure funds to build freeways like they were in the states. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that happened in the Canadian context and the Calgary context that that's quite unique. I would say that the trend towards recognizing that the, the post-war automobile scaled monolithic city, the cell that doesn't divide, that just keeps on getting bigger and bigger, uh, that realization is taking place in real time. But we have, you know, so I want to tie a couple of these things together because we've talked about infrastructure and in support of it. We've talked about new communities, established communities, inner communities, and, our, and some of those redevelopment aspirations the suburban growth machine, as you called it, you know, you know, I, I look at, you know, stuff like the, 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 the new community development levy. It's, it's a, it's a relatively straightforward and simple mechanism. It's easy to wrap your head around. It's easy to draw a straight line between cost and benefit on the redevelopment side. It's, and in supporting, you know, redevelopment in anything from something that's been around for 20 years to something that's been around for 120 years. It's a way, way more complex enterprise to figure out, the policy regime, the and you don't have one the, landowner, the existing right? context, yeah. the landowner fragment fragmentation, existing community, existing yeah and... neighbors. There's context around it. So in one way, a, a greenfield model is is more a path of least resistance. It's easier to head, wrap your head Super around. Easy, There's way 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 more work figuring out the supporting infrastructure, the funding mechanisms in which to create those transit lines and the, the pipes to, to redo the pipes under the ground as your development roundtable talked about so eloquently yeah so how so how do we begin so i you know we know what the what is i think we can i, I think we've agreed that we need to add more nuance and understanding of, of trends and demographics and lifestyles that can add i think a, a rich layer to understanding how to go about that but how when you when the the rubber hits the road you have to fund it and you have to do these sorts of things it's not as simple as like put in a development levy like you did in, in the greenfield areas. And I, 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 I can see why that was easier to wrap your head around first, but there's, there's 10 times the amount of work to figure out even a, what the capacity of infrastructure is, what kind of amenities and infrastructure are needed, where the market really wants to go because it's, you're, you're trying to match your infrastructure funding with where the market goes. How do you begin to tackle these problems as a council? Is, well, is this like the number one issue you have to take on? You have to start. Uh, you want to go first? No, go ahead. I, I, we haven't started. We so have we, started. We, well, we've, we've just, just started, started now. Nah, well, barely. So <laughs> if this is a, I always tackle the hardest problems first, and then the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, we didn't do we that. We didn't do that. What we did was we worked on the easy stuff. And the, the redevelopment is complicated. It's, you know, it's a wicked problem, and it requires energy from all areas to solve these sticky problems but but we didn't start we focused on what was easy that's a huge failure to me so we, we needed everyone's energy to focus on on so solving these problems no wonder we missed our targets whether our targets were right or not we in the last budget the fact that we didn't fund main streets and we had to beg for funding at main streets that when that's mess. where the success lies those are easy wins for us 
those are the easy parts and we didn't fund them and yet we funded 14 new communities what does that say to to calgarians who participated in the development of these targets what does it say to them that they don't matter so i'm going to pick up on that 14 new communities has become the slogan of what we did wrong I'm going to push back. And you and I have had this conversation. Yes, we have. Yes, we have, have. It, have it out in front of everyone. Uh, yeah. Well, 14 new communities to me is sort of the, the rallying cry for we did the easy stuff. Now let's get down to the business that we should have done. As someone who actively worked on looking at those business cases, that was not an easy process. It was not easy by any means. Understanding the offsite levy bylaw, understanding the implications of match funding, what we could leverage, what was needed, which communities actually needed to be completed, which ones were coming on brand new. 14 communities, I think, sends an image that we created 14 suburbs, when in fact what we did is we approved 11 out of 12 submitted business cases, all of which had some sort of partnering, leveraging funds attached to them. And speaking on two of them, I will say that it completed parts of Ward 3 that have long been overlooked. We managed to get funding for Vivo, which was built too small in the days that it was built. It was over capacity the day that it opened. We found funding based on those offsite levy bylaws. We are completing interchanges in places that we've been waiting for years. So as someone from an underserved ward, from an infrastructure perspective, that took a lot to figure out how we could get funds from industry. Yeah, so, I, I think Drew's point was that it wasn't that it was easy. It was that it was easier. Exactly. And it so did take seven years to, to yeah, figure out. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the thick of it. It was, yeah, we were it was excruciating yeah. from if time to time. compare the two, though, um, it, it, it may have been difficult. I'm not suggesting it was super simple. But compare it with redevelopment, which is far more complicated. And it is part of our objectives to get that done. What we did in this budget, what was presented to us, was unfunding Main Street, which we thought was going to be in the funding, and funding these 14 communities. So the message was we care about one and not the other. What we should never do going forward is separate them out. We have to start looking at planning our city as a whole because one impacts the other. I well, think we all, all agree on We that. all agree with that. The question is how do we get there from here, right? And that, and if I can sort of try and be the voice of moderation. And I <laughs> can, think you, can you say that, that we should use better language and stop saying urban, suburban? I can actually, you, that? I, you see. That's like, an important point. Like how much of this needs to be more of a unifying message of it's not us versus them. It's not zero sum. If somebody, How much if, does the, the language and the rhetoric need to change to actually get there? If somebody wants to come up with a better term <laughs> or set of terms than urban and suburban, I'm all ears. But what I'm talking about when I talk about urban and suburban is not distance from the core. It's not, uh, you know, age of community. It is simply in an urban environment, you should be able to walk to the majority of your destinations or use some other mode than a car exactly. to get around your environment. Yeah, our, our planner, Peter Calthor, made that point. Yeah. Is, is yeah. Or he uses the term sprawl, which is often a pejorative. It's it's not a function of location. It's a function of connectivity design. and right. design. So, design and completeness and all of those things. Yeah. And so, you know, a suburban environment is not a fully urban environment. It provides you a lot of those services, but it has challenges in terms of how you move around that space, how how accessible it is to the broad suite of citizenry 
Uh, it is not fully human habitat. I believe it's automobile habitat. And maybe we can talk about it that way, but that seems even more planner-esque and more obtuse. So, you know, I, I think we all agree we need to build complete communities that offer a suite of opportunities for a suite of different citizens. And we understand that we're more richly diverse than ever before. We also need to understand that how these things pay for themselves because the automobile scaled habitat of this city is operating at a massive infrastructure deficit and for decades was built out uh, using the existing tax base at, at a net loss well, and to the future. The, the, the old MDP also assumed a downtown that was thriving and robust. And of course we learned that's very different and it will be going into the future. So it, it gives us a whole set of complexities that we have to solve. So I want to say one thing. I think there is a lot of success to celebrate I think on, there is too. On, on the redevelopment side, too. I mean, our, our downtown residential population has grown tremendously in Las Boom, you know, or, or since the MDP came in our the, that first ring of inner city development has been really robust, to, despite a lot of constraints and difficulties like we talked about with land assembly and all these sorts of things. The problem is that it's in such short supply that the costs are going up and they can't be the complete places they're supposed to be demographically because because of gentrification forces. You know, and, and on the edge, I think we have made a ton of progress as well in the types of things we're doing post-MDP as well. And Those the 14 time... communities are much more urban, a better class of community Some than of them. we built in a long time. For sure. And some of them are like like the one you're doing with Dream is you know, so, is the standard. So speaking of those implementing tools, you guys are all in the thick of it all the time. You provide administration direction on what needs to do. You're the chair, uh, Council Gonag, you're the chair of uh, Planning and Urban Development Committee. Maybe I'll start with you. What do you think are the the next big moves we need to make in terms of you know the how, the how to get there on on all these sorts of questions, but in terms of um, meeting those larger goals better? Than, than we have maybe in the past? I would have to say that the most um, interesting and exciting month that I've spent on council amongst the many has been this past January where we sat down as planning and urban development and actually had a proper strategic planning session. Yeah. And we went to administration and said, you have 60 some items on your action plan for this coming year. That's madness. We can't do that. So how did you come up with this list, how did you prioritize it? And we encouraged them and enabled them to be frank about how they came up with that list. And then we collaboratively figured out how prioritization should take place. We came up with guiding principles. We talked about the fact that everything we do must encourage economic prosperity and instill investor confidence. And when we talked about investors, we don't just mean financial. We mean the people who have put down roots in their communities and the people that want this to be a great city anybody who has invested their life in this city. And that was sort of the, it was the starting point of something better because we prioritize projects that will achieve those goals. So if we go back and say, we've sort of been chugging along and just doing things the way we've always done them. And this year has been a big shakeup to say, no, let's get some priorities in place and then figure out how we're gonna accomplish those goals. Yeah, I think setting strategy very carefully in terms of committees and then taking it back to council and setting a broader vision as a council will allow us to execute on things. To my fellow councillor's point about the fact that we should be governors and not into operations, 
we've been dabbling in operations for far too long. We've forced ourselves to take a step back and be more strategic and guide what administration is doing. Councillor Craw. Well, I, I don't disagree with uh, Jyoti's comments, and I thank you for your leadership as the new chair of PUD for sort of like solidifying that, that strategic direction. I would suggest that that change really started with Imagine Calgary, though. Mm-hmm. And it was part of a continental shift in city building and sort of an awakening in citizenry and the customer base and an emerging understanding and sophistication amongst the development industry. And, and I would say that... But that was really the why we need to do it yeah. and the what. And then, what, and where, then the, the, what, what do you think of the, the For how? me, the, yeah. the how, it really boils down to yeah. the work we're now doing in actually transforming planning, right? So we have the opportunity to redux our MDP and to actually sort of create this one guidebook, which is policy for how you create walkable environments and direct development in that direction, um, the integration of the land use bylaw, and then the understanding that when you have policy and land use, which are forward-looking, and the entire city is under policy and you understand what it's going to look, what it's going to be when it grows up, then you can have an apples-to-apples city math-based conversation about where we put infrastructure investment now. And between enabling policy and infrastructure investment, we actually have some pretty significant levers in driving outcomes. Add to that emerging sophistication in the development industry, add to that emerging changing tastes and demands on the customer side, and I feel very confident about where we're moving into mm. the future. Council Farrell, I, I, I see you're making notes. You wanted to, to <laughs> dive in on, on the how. Give us an hour about what you think we need to do. <laughs> well, I, I think... Um... We need to make sure that we have the right tools. And so what Giancarlo is really talking about and, and Jyoti is developing the tools to help us get achieve our goals. I, we, we, we can't lose track that when we establish policy like Imagine Calgary, that it had a huge amount of rigor and consultation behind it, that, that council members change. So what you need to do with strategy like that or a long-term plan, and I believe that we need to plan long-term, it is constantly be developing data and rigor and, and evolving the story so that you can bring people along as it evolves and as the city evolves and as the city changes. We don't do that. And... We, we somehow f- expect that there's some latent memory of this work. Of course, there's no memory. So no wonder we get new members of council who have no attachment to these policies. And you know maybe they need to be changed. Of course, they need to be changed from time to time. But a lot of them still have in tremendous value. And But it doesn't just happen through osmosis. And so... Hopefully, with Jyoti's guidance and strategic planning sessions of council, we can constantly re- be revisiting and making them stronger and recommitting to them, adjusting when necessary. Yeah. But to just throw them out because they're difficult is a failure of, of the system and of council. And so I, I, I would hope that as we move forward, we realize the, the world is changing really quickly. And the issue of climate change is going to, and resilience is going to be uh, hitting us. Alberta is in an epicenter of, of wild weather. And 
so resiliency is extremely important in how we design our city and and so we we need to be looking at providing a city that's better for generations in the future councils think short term and that's that's a failure and how you build long-term planning into uh, an organism that is is wants to think short term is really difficult we need to figure out a way to do that anything you want to add to close well i agree that you know the whole mission of great neighborhoods is that you want to create networked nodes of resilient human civilization that will survive and thrive long into an uncertain future and i have a lot of confidence that we're finally getting there and i agree completely it's about we've got the strategic goals now it's time to get the tools right and then get everyone pushing in that direction and, and i'm very confident that that's happening now and it's none too soon and if we just keep the focus on how people are living their everyday lives in the cities that we're creating People need to get groceries, they need their kids to get to school, they need to get to a doctor, they need to get to work, they need to get to dinner. All of those things should be possible within their community. For far too long, we segregated those uses outside of immediate communities. We have to get better at that, and we have to focus on economic realities. We've got to make sure that people understand that our city is a great place to do business because our resilience strategy minimizes your business downtime. We have to make the business case for resilience. And that's going to require us looking outside our wards and at the city as a whole. I love it. All right. All well, right. To use the city slogan, onward. Onward. All right. Common Ground YYC is a production of Livewire Calgary. If you value quality local journalism, please consider supporting Livewire by following it on social media, by clicking and reading stories, advertising, or contributing directly via Patreon. Visit livewirecalgary.com 